0: I pray that God will employ the knowledge, the skill, and the relationships that you have gained in your years, however few or however many they are, for the service of Christ and the Gospel. And you'll need those things. You'll need that knowledge, you'll need those skills, and you will need those friendships. Do keep up your friendships with each other. It is most important for long-haul word ministry. And you'll need those things and you'll need more because the ministry that you're engaging in is a ministry of the gospel. And your ministry must be shaped by the gospel. Ministry's complex. We're not making widgets. We're serving people. People with different contexts, cultures, various needs. And yet each one fragile and valuable. We're teaching and serving people, are often at multiple levels. Some of you already will be teaching, you know. Might have a scripture at 10 o'clock in the morning, and some board meeting at 12, and then you're dealing with a marriage counseling issue in the afternoon. It's demanding. It's complex. But more than that, if you find yourself in leadership, which many of you will do, if not you're already there. Uh, you'll be charged with uh, building the plane and flying it at the same time. Quite a task. I have a board member who regularly says to me when I'm complaining about one thing or another, says, oh, Don, if only we get some clean air. Uh, I, I now know to say back to him, brother John, there is no such thing as clean air. There's no such thing as uninterrupted time. There's always time which has got pressure upon it. And of course, I won't go on to mention some of the complexities that we bring upon ourselves by the dumb stuff uh, that we do. Ministry is complex, the challenges seem unending. We can get help for some of these things. Uh, Prioritising, having a mentor, uh, creating good work and rest habits. Uh, Things that will go well in our leadership books and things that we can find out there. But the complexity and challenges of ministry Are deeper than that. They're deeper than can be solved with prioritising or joining a gym class, valuable as those things are. We're involved in spiritual work which involves spiritual hits from a spiritual enemy. We we, we will have knocks that come to us below the waterline, things that will cause cracks that will perhaps make us wonder. Is it all worth it? Do I want to keep doing this? Why am I putting my family through this? It could be that bloke that I once had in our church in Perth. We poured our our heart into him. He seemed to be grasping the truth. I could actually imagine him leading a ministry. I was just a layperson in the church. I could see him leading a ministry to people like him that he'd come from. And then the next week, he'd moved in de facto relationship with another person that he'd met in church. I visited him, I pleaded with him to no avail. Or maybe it's a church elder or a church leader or perhaps a colleague sometimes who manages to notice the things that aren't going well in our ministry and helps to correct us frequently. Such awful people, my my, uh, old friend, uh, Ken Frewer, who's gone to be with the Lord, uh, called such people anti-Barnabas. The opposite of a son of encouragement. Uh, We do miss brothers like that. The discouragements, and actually they're fewer than we realize, often outweigh the encouragements. Our passage tonight brings before us, I think, another perspective to have on that. One that I hope will help you as you're venturing into your ministries and hopefully help all of us here tonight. If I can summarise what I want to say tonight, it's this, that while we are rightly striving to shape our ministries according to the gospel of Christ, the gospel at the same time is striving to shape us and our ministries into the likeness of Jesus Christ. I want to gather our thoughts under three verses from our passage tonight. I have it with you. It's in the outline. The first verse is the first one I want to talk about. Verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. First thing we must see is that gospel ministry is a mercy of God. Our service of the gospel does not start with us. It does not depend upon us. It will not bear fruit because of us. It is always, ever and only a merciful gift of God, which he can take away as well as give. It is, as Paul says in chapter three, a ministry of the spirit, not of the letter. It's a ministry of regeneration, of transformation of people, as Christ's death for us is applied to our hearts, and we are transformed by his spirit. And then that is applied to the lives of others as we see them transformed. The very nature of the gospel tells us that the effectiveness of our ministries does not and cannot depend upon us. It lies outside of us. All we can do is make it ineffective, perhaps even dangerous, by changing it, diluting it. It is God who must open eyes to the glory of his Son, as he's presented in the gospel, eyes that are presently shut tight by the evil one, the God of this age. As he says in verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light to shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Only God can do it. There's a number of things we could draw out of this. I'll just take one. If gospel ministry comes from God, is a mercy of God, it depends upon God, then we must depend upon God ourselves and not upon ourselves. Uh, many, many years ago, a minister, uh, when uh, Athena and I were in ministry in Earlwood Parish, uh, where we were for 10 years, uh, there was a minister in... Uh, minis- place called South Liverpool uh, who'd come back from overseas and was a bishop and his name was Dudley Ford and he began arranging what were called then quarterly prayer gatherings it had a longer title about rejuvenating the church and reaching the lost and such things as as Dudley was wont to give it was a simple program there'd be a welcome there'd be a Bible reading there'd be a talk like I'm giving now and then there would be open times of prayer and then there would be a song at the end. And Earlwood was chosen as one of the places where one of these gatherings was held, so I felt quite chuffed. But I did feel to myself as a bit old hat, you know, it's kind of like, you know, we're in the late 1980s now, like just before all you were born. Um, How wrong I was. People from our church came to this gathering, they heard the word of God, the time of prayer was open, and I heard them pour out their hearts in ways that I'd never heard in my own ministry, for their children, for their parents, for their siblings, for their husbands, for their wives. They had such compassion and pain for the lost because they knew that only God could do it. So I, I think my encouragement is to us today is, let's be careful in our data gathering and planning and goals that we're not making prayer an add-on. Rather, let's proclaim, meditate upon the wonders of Jesus Christ, beholding His glory in the gospel ourselves, saying again to him how much we need His mercy and then allowing his mercy to shape our ministries and our hearts. So that's verse 1. The next verse I want to take our attention to is verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now, I want to put it out there that I think it's a rather risky venture to entrust a precious, life-giving gift to fragile, garden-variety human beings like us. Uh, Human beings who, in my experience, uh, don't cope well with being buffeted, stretched, pushed. Uh, We become weary, unsure, unstable at times. I mean, doesn't God know that we've got baggage, issues? Yeah, he does, actually. But it's only when we start to realise that that's the place from which he starts to minister effectively, that we truly begin to see the actual power of the gospel, that his power at work in us will only become evident to us and to other people at the moment of weakness. We often think of the gospel like a turbocharger on a car. Now, I know that they're going out with electrical vehicles, so just bear with me for a minute. So a turbocharger, it's a way by whereby the exhaust gases are fed back into the engine and it speeds up the actual combustion and gives more firepower to the car. Uh, if there are any motor mechanics here, just don't talk to me afterwards, all right. <laughs> but in other words, we think that the gospel is going to give us a bit more oomph, a bit more power to get up that hill. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel not a little bit of oomph, it's a death to life instrument. It's raising the dead in the here and now. That's the gospel. That's what it does. Uh, A weak illustration of it is it's more like a defibrillator than a turbocharger. And that must take place in us, says Paul, who proclaim as well as those who hear. Look at verses 8 through 10 where Paul spells this out. Uh, we are hard-pressed on every side, squeezed of our resources, but we're not crushed. Are uh, perplexed, uh, at a loss, are uh, crazy mad sometimes, nothing left in the tank. But we're not in despair. I mean, how does that happen? Persecuted, isolated, picked on, oppressed, slandered, Mocked, but never abandoned. Never on our own. Struck down. We hit the floor. It does happen. You might call it burnout and you might have medical reasons for it, but it's not just going to be that. It's that spiritual hit under the waterline. But we're not destroyed. We get up again. You just can't kill these Christians off. They just keep bouncing back according to Paul. That's what he's saying here. Over and over again. And yet, if we're honest, it's a bit scary, isn't it? That list, especially the first line of each one. Crushed, despair, abandoned, destroyed. Um, our mums and dads might be a bit worried here tonight to see their son or daughter going across the stage if that's the list and it is scary at one level from a human point of view I mean look at verse 10 we always carry in our body the death of Jesus Now, I'm pretty sure, and we heard a lot of people who are in jobs and going into employment, all of them fantastically exciting, I'm pretty sure that none of the jobs that the new graduates have been applying for had the following criteria, all of them. A complete or near-complete theology degree, excellent written and spoken communication, next line, demonstrated willingness to carry around the death of Jesus in the body. It wasn't there. You apply for a job like that, it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. But according to Paul, it's doable. It's actually doable. Can you believe it? I was talking with one of our graduates at our graduation, which we held two weeks ago. He and his wife have been in their church, I think, for about 15 years. They're both graduates of our college, actually. It's a small church. It's in a tough part of town. I'm pretty sure that the outflows have not been matched by the inflows. They plug on. They come to graduation every year. This year they brought their children, teenagers, Great to have you here, kids, if you're here. Fantastic. Love the cheering out for the dads, by the way. Excellent. Mums. They bring their kids along. I said said to him, I said, hey, how's it going? He said, oh, fantastic. I said, come on, what's going on? He says, well, I've got a baptism coming up in a few weeks. A baptism. Now, in his church, that is a really big deal. I said, how did it happen? He says, well, this guy, uh, we we did some evangelism and he came and he did a course with us and he wants to be baptised and he wants to be part of our church. I said, that's fantastic. I was really excited, big smile on his face. And then I just thought uh, for a moment in the back of my head, I thought, this is the same guy who got so much stick from his denomination. So much stick. So many hoops and so much scraping he had to do just to get a ticket, a licence, to operate in a church. He was more than qualified. He did his whole course with us. They said, oh, no, you've got to do another course with somebody else. Oh, I call that delousing. Uh, that's for the country people. Hope you enjoyed that one. <laughs> They've been pummeled in body, mind and spirit. And he gets that much support. But here they are at graduation with their two teenage kids smiling. They're seeing life come to others and it brings them joy. Do you think that might be your story? How do you see things playing out? What shape? Do you think your ministry is going to take? Or to put it the other way around, how will the gospel shape you in your ministry? So we've seen that gospel ministry brings us to depend on God's mercy. We've seen that gospel ministry will take us into the experience of death and bring us out of that into the knowledge of God in life so that others might find life. Lastly, verse 13. Paul says, and here he quotes from Psalm 116, It is written, I believed and therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and also speak because we know that the one who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Paul takes us to the real fear in our hearts that if we do hand ourselves over to a ministry shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ, one that is of mercy and that is of death to life, we actually will find ourselves at times overwhelmed, overwhelmed by complexity. Overwhelmed by the depth of sin in other people and sometimes in us too. Overwhelmed by a lack of ability, unable to see a way out at times, perhaps with Satan condemning us day in and day out about our inadequacies and our selfishness and our fear. That's not a very happy place. I can tell you that, but it was where the psalmist was, and it was where Paul was. I believed, therefore I spoke. I trusted, and I preached. Paul follows suit, so we believe, and so we speak. So must we. I used to think that progress in ministry was about getting better at it and getting better skills. That's the easy part. The hard part is learning to call out to God, to trust him, to raise us from the dead so that we might proclaim Christ to the glory of God again and again. And that's true for all of us, whether we're looking at a ministry job or not. Being placed in that position of absolute need as we proclaim Christ and live for Him. Put in situations that we can't solve from our own resources. Being forced to call upon Him. So, what about you? Do you believe it? Do you believe what the Psalmist believed? Do you believe what Paul believed? You're ready to be shaped by the gospel that you preach? Then do it. Get on with it. Make Christ known from the scriptures, tell us of his eternal nature his wisdom, his power, his grace, his humility, his compassion, his holiness, his righteousness, he's dying in our place on the cross, he's being raised, he's being seated at the right hand of God, he's coming, I want all of it. I want all of it. And then tell us again. Know that that will change you and challenge you, but please don't stop doing that. You'll cry out to God for help as you pour out your life to others. You'll sometimes see them come to light and understand the gospel. In my experience when I do evangelism, people becoming Christians just behind me over there somewhere so that God can keep me humble. But keep at it and keep at it and know that God will continue to strengthen you by his grace and by his spirit as we proclaim his son. And we ask this in his name. Amen.